The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. The Gospel of the Lord. You are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You'd think if we were any of those things like we would notice. It's a remarkable statement that we have in our first reading from the book of Revelation, this series of seven letters to seven different churches in that part of the world known as Asia Minor modern Turkey. Um, these letters to the churches that on the one hand are addressing particular matters in these communities, but are also in a sense universal statements about tendencies that one finds throughout the entire body of Christ. We have two of the seven letters that we heard this morning and they both speak of certain all-too-common dangers and shortcomings among the people of God. In the first letter, the Lord very directly says to the community of believers, you appear to be alive, but you're not. And that too is a remarkable statement. You appear to be alive, but you're not. Your goodness, in fact, is dying. It is withering. And if we just kind of linger with that image, just imagine what happens when you prune a tree or a plant and you cut a branch off. Initially, when you cut the branch off, it still has its green leaves. It still has its flowers. It appears to be alive but it has been cut off. So not right away, not immediately, but over time, it loses its green. The petals of the flowers fall off and they're not replaced. The life, in a sense, drains out of it. 
And that's the image, in a sense, that lurks behind what the Lord is saying in that first letter. That you began with life. You began with goodness. But you've been living in a way where you have been cutting yourself off from the source of life. And what you have right now is merely the remnant of the green from the tree. You have the remnant of the fruit, the remnant of the flower, but that too is passing. And if you don't do something, in other words, if you don't regraft yourself back onto the vine, if you don't turn back to the Lord with your heart, that lingering remnant of the green, that too will fade away and fall away and you will be left with nothing. And then the Lord speaks to the next church. And again, it doesn't castigate them for their wickedness, but rather for something worse, which is lukewarmness. Tepidity, which for centuries spiritual masters have said is among the very greatest of the dangers to the human heart. Because lukewarmness produces complacency. It produces that tendency to say, nothing is obviously the matter, so I must be okay. And it's that being okay which becomes the danger. It's where I don't extend myself beyond the minimum. And pretty soon, I rest in the minimum, and I begin living that life of which Pope Francis just recently spoke in an address to the clergy. And in looking at myself and my brother priests addressing us, Francis said, a priest who doesn't pray essentially is placing his life in the garbage bin. And that's where he'll live. Nothing might be obviously wrong, but everything is. But you don't know it. And that lukewarmness, which doesn't try to be good, but likewise is content to say, but I'm not so bad, never moves. This is why the Lord uses that terrible statement, I will spit you out of my mouth. There is nothing to savor about you. Your life is flavorless, tasteless, bland, and going nowhere. And it's the going nowhere that becomes the crime. The issue is not, am I going someplace bad? I'm going nowhere at all. And so the life that has been given to be lived, the Christian life that has been given to be lived, is simply ignored, simply neglected. And this is why the Lord says, and what happens is you, the heart becomes numb. The great danger of tepidity, of lukewarmness, is a certain numbness about us. Our spiritual senses begin to grow dead which is why the Lord says, you're wretched. Think about that word. Think about that word. To describe someone as wretched, it's noticeable. You're pitiable. There's something about you that provokes the heart to pity. It's noticeable. You're poor. You lack. You would think if we were poor, we would know. You're naked, and you don't know any of these things. And you're blind, and you don't even know that you can't see. 
What a chilling statement that is. You've become so lukewarm that you are numb to the reality of who you really are and where your life really stands. Because you're content with this false idea that if I'm not so bad, I must be good. And note the danger. And so you're living in blindness. You're living a life that is wretched and you don't even know. You don't even realize. And because you don't know and you don't realize, you won't do a thing to correct yourself. Which is why the Lord says, I chastise the one whom I love to wake you up so you see, so that you move out of poverty, out of wretchedness, out of nakedness, out of blindness. And then he says, turn to me and ask for the coin of grace that you can purchase an ointment for your eyes and learn to see. Ask me for the coin of grace that you can obtain again a white garment to clothe yourself. Note how powerful and how moving that statement is. You're poor. Turn to me because I have wealth. I'll give it to you. But you've got to turn and you've got to ask. And we can begin correcting that. So the Lord isn't saying you're lost. But he is saying, if you stay where you are, there's no good outcome. And I don't want you to stay there. So turn to me and ask. And that's what brings us now to our gospel reading in the city of Jericho. And for those of us who have a basic familiarity with the Old Testament and just popular culture, Jericho is famous for its walls in the Old Testament that great walled city that Israel couldn't conquer because the walls were too high and too strong until they marched around it at the instruction of the Lord, blew their trumpets, and the walls fell down. Jericho is one of the last stops on the road to Jerusalem. The Lord is going to give his life for us. He passes through the great city formerly famous for its walls. And in that city, we encounter a different kind of a wall that relates to what we just heard in our reading from Revelation. We hear about Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who's a wealthy man in material terms. And he wants to see Jesus, but he's short. You know, think about the experience of little children. When they're in a crowd of adults, it's like being walled in. I can't see around. I can't see above. I can't move easily. It's like a wall blocking my progress, blocking my sight. So interestingly enough, we have another issue of a wall, but of a different kind. It's a wall of worldliness, a wall of everybody else a wall of human occupation and preoccupation that prevents him from seeing. And the only way he will see Jesus is he has to solve the problem of the wall. The crowd of things and concerns that separate him from the Lord. If he doesn't move, he'll never see Jesus. So note how important this is. He has to make a choice. He can say, I want to see Jesus, but there's so much in my way, I guess I'm not going to. 
All too many of us fall into that trap. All too many of us make that mistake. And what does he say? Unless I can find some way around and above the wall, I'm going to miss him because he is coming. Know how beautiful it is. He knows Jesus is on the way. And he wants to position himself so that he can see the Lord when he arrives. It's no accident that we're hearing this reading just a week and a half before Advent starts, that season about preparing for the Lord who is on the way. And so Zacchaeus realizes, I have to run and get ahead of the crowd because they're moving too, and they'll keep blocking my view of Jesus. This is what we forget. The world around us with its obstacles never stands still. It moves as we move. And so we can't just wander. We can't just drift. And so Zacchaeus runs. He sprints. He hurries. He says, if I don't move quickly, I'm never going to get past this. And I want to see Jesus. It's the urgency of that desire. So he runs. And he runs until he finds a sycamore tree right along the road that Jesus has to take. That's a conveniently located tree. He goes to that tree right where, and so note, he runs, he finds the tree which will lift him now. He's ahead of the crowd. He has a chance to climb the tree. And when he's in its branches, he has a chance of seeing Jesus. The tree has a name, and her name is Mary. She is that tree planted along the way of the coming of the Lord, whose presence and whose prayerfulness can lift us up above worldly concerns, that we might be in that place where we can see the Lord when he arrives. And it's kind of cool to reflect on that on the top of this hill, at the feet of Our Lady, even in the less-than-ideal temperature in which we gather today. Um, but note how marvelous that is. He needs his own energy, but he also needs the tree. He needs to climb. He needs to ascend above these things. And resting in the branches of the tree, the beautiful thing is this. St. Luke never says Zacchaeus sees Jesus. He says, Jesus looked up and saw him. He's in that tree, not where he can see Jesus, but he's in the branch where Jesus is already looking. Because the Lord is always looking toward Our Lady. And those who are with her will be seen by the Lord. This is also why in St. John's Gospel on the day that Jesus dies, on the tree of the cross, Jesus looks down and sees his mother, and only in seeing his mother does he see the, the beloved disciple standing there too. He sees Mary, and he sees the one who is with her. And so it is here the Lord looks into the arms, the branches of the tree, and he sees Zacchaeus. 
And at that point now, Zacchaeus has to move again, but now it's different. It's now come down because now I'm going to be with you in your house today. And note the response afterwards. There's this moment of Zacchaeus going home with Jesus. He has the desire of his heart, and what does the world try to do? It tries to rob him. It tries to put the wall back up. Look at Jesus slumming with the sinner. Who is this guy to think he should be with the Lord? And so how the story ends is equally important. It says Zacchaeus stands his ground as the world tries to pull him away. Those letters to the churches are about Jesus saying to them, you let the world pull yourself away from me. It's not that I didn't see you in the branches. It's not that you weren't with me. You've let them pull you away. And so Zacchaeus here is also that model of, if I'm going to be with you, I'm going to work to stay with you. And that means standing against the voice of my doubt, the call of my insecurity, the worries and anxieties that my fear thrusts upon me, and the judgmentalism of others who say, who are you to think you're better than me? Who are you to think you can change? After everything you've done, what makes you think you could be good? And what do we hear? Zacchaeus stands his ground and he says, the only one i got to answer to, Lord, is you. And if I've done something as bad as they say, well, then I'll correct it for you. But I'm staying with you. What a beautiful and powerful incident this is and how wonderfully instructive. This important reminder that we have to recognize that on a regular basis, there is a need to run out ahead of the details of the world. And in getting ahead, catch our breath a minute and climb the tree of genuine devotion so that when we're there, it's not simply a matter of I get to see Jesus, but I'll be seen by him. And I'll experience him looking at me and his look is always a call. And that call is come down, which means come down and be with me. Come down into the truth of your home the truth of your heart, the truth of your life. And how beautiful it is that we who found ourselves here at the feet of these trees, which I don't expect any of you to climb, are going to be looking forward to the altar. And what are you going to hear? Behold the Lamb of God. But as you're looking at him in that moment, recognizing him in the breaking of the bread, he's looking at you. And he's saying, Come down. Get up. Come to me because I must go to your house today. The house of your heart. The house of your life. Don't just look. Come forward. And then we will leave together. How beautifully that summarizes what happens in receiving Holy Communion and then moving out from this place back into our lives. Amen.